What's up, y'all? Look, I got a question for y'all. I'm kind of talking to, I'm talking to us right now. Recognizing that we have allies listening in. We have various types and hues of melanin who check out the podcast, but I'm kind of talking to us right now. Have y'all heard of the phrase, all skin folk ain't kin folk? Have y'all heard that phrase? Okay, so if you haven't heard that phrase, it's education for everybody now. So shout out to everybody who listens to Jackson with the podcast. The idea of all skin folk not being kin folk means that just because someone looks like you doesn't mean that they're actually out looking out for you, right? And the whole idea of all skin folk not being kin folk is really illustrated and articulated well in corporate America. Um, you know, for me, I think because I am one of the few, if I mean, arguably the only person in my family really actively in corporate America uh, doing what I'm doing and coming into these spaces and I see other folks who look like me initially and early in my career, I would run up on them and be like, oh, what's going on, man? Da, 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 da. What's going on, brother? They hit me with, I'm not your brother. I'm not your pal, buddy. Go find something else to do, right? They, they hit you and be like, whoa, what, what is this? All skin folk, not kin folk. And so as I had those experiences and disappointments uh, in my professional journey, finding folks who were actually kin folk became all the more satisfying, right? And so I'm really excited because even though this Black History Month has been trash with Jussie, Jussie and Gucci and whoever else making blackface clothes and folks just wilding in general, people having actual putting on blackface in 2019 or acting as if the 80s was, you know, 89 years ago. Uh, this episode is really powerful for me, man. And yeah, Ade isn't here to this week and she'll be back next week. So I'm kind of sad, but this is a silver lining because I got to actually have a conversation with someone who really epitomizes the concept of lifting as you climb. This man, his name is Marty Rogers. Marty Rogers is a managing director um, out of the uh, DC office at a firm called Accenture. Uh, great man. You're going to hear about his profile, hear about his story. And so I'm really excited for y'all to check this out. Okay. So don't go anywhere. The next thing you're going to hear is us getting into this interview with Marty Rogers. Now look, the computer crashed and we had to redo the interview, but I want y'all to know, and I say it in the conversation, he did actually show us mad love at the top of the interview about living corporate. He actually checked out the platform and stuff. He's actually a fan. Uh, shout out to you, Marty Rogers and shout out to all the folks listening. I want y'all to check this out. Talk to y'all soon. So for those of us who don't know you, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure, absolutely, Zach. Uh, so in terms of my background, um, I uh, have always wanted my career to go back and forth between for-profit, non-profit, and government. Um, I very much believe that uh, all three sectors would be required to um, come together, to work together, to understand each other, to um, understand the respective um, you know, why each sector exists, what their purpose is, how they're incorporated, what their incentives are, um, and that all three would have to figure out a way to work together on the greatest issues and challenges of our time. So whether that's um, the environment or uh, civil rights or uh, education or healthcare, we had to find a way to get all three of these sectors to uh, come together to tackle those great challenges. 
And so when I was coming out of undergrad, um, I went to the University of Notre Dame. And as I was uh, getting ready to graduate, um, a guy named Dr. Cliff Wharton became the first um, uh, African-American CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Uh, he became the CEO of TIAA Craft. And um, Dr. Wharton um, had a distinguished career in uh, at the UN and uh, also in uh, nonprofits before assuming that position and also as, a, as an educator as well. And so uh, he kind of embodied kind of what I wanted my career to be. And so that's very much what I said about the course of doing. So my first uh, role and assignment, uh, I started working with um, uh, Aetna Life and Casualty. Uh, I was doing economic uh, research and an economic um, portfolio analysis for a big real estate investment uh, uh, holdings that the, that the insurance company had. Um, that was really awesome and great because it happened at a time and a moment uh, in our um, in our uh, country when uh, the SNL crisis was happening and properties were getting dumped and affecting our portfolios. And so I'd have to do lots and lots of research on the impact of, of those uh of what government was doing and its impact on, on the private sector. Um, and so I did that for a while. Uh, then I had an opportunity to go to work for one of my mentors uh, in the nonprofit space, a woman by the name of uh, Dr. Marion Wright Edelman. Uh, she was the president and founder of the Children's Defense Fund. And I originally started and worked for her as, as her, uh, on her staff as, as her assistant. Um, that was an awesome experience for me. Um, I got to, to work directly with her, learn from her. Um, and here was a person that had had and is still changing the country. Um, and was the, she was the first black woman lawyer in the state of Mississippi and had um, worked to help create Head Start and a whole variety of other programs for, for children. Um, that was a great experience. It was the first time I was working really on um, helping her launch a race-specific campaign for African-American kids um, called the Black Community Crusade for Children. And we launched that in a whole series of, of freedom schools all across the country. Um, and then I left there. I kind of had the advocacy bug at that point and went to Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill. Um, in fact, that was another great experience uh, where I got to work for another mentor of mine, um, somebody who I'd always looked up to and respected. Um, I went to work for a guy named uh, Senator Harris Wofford, who was, um, uh, he's a, a white guy who had gone to Howard and uh, became one of, if not the first grad white graduates of, of Howard Law School. Uh, he went on to... Um, work with Dr. King. He went to work with Robert F. Kennedy and John F. Kennedy, he headed up civil rights at the Kennedy administration and co-founded the Peace Corps and was a college president of a couple of universities. And so like Cliff Wharton, he was somebody I, who, who I had looked up to and wanted to be more like. Um, and so it was a great opportunity to go to work for, uh, for him and with him. He was very passionate having co-founded the Peace Corps about the idea of bringing the Peace Corps home to serve American families and American communities. And so that's very much what uh, we was uh, we worked together. Uh, I was in charge as his staff person of uh, getting the uh, 
uh, of working on the uh, AmeriCorps legislation and creating a, a program uh, called AmeriCorps to allow young people a chance to make a difference uh, through full-time national uh, community service efforts. Um, and then uh, we also work together uh, to create, uh, in turn, the, uh, with a friend and advisor, Dr. King, uh, we worked with Congressman Lewis to turn that holiday into a national day of service. Um, and so uh, that was my, my time on the Hill, learning you know, how, does, how does legislation work, how does politics work, how do you get things done on the Hill. Um, and then uh, after that, after spending you know, almost five years trying to convince people about the importance of service and giving back and making a difference, uh, I thought it was quite hypocritical that I hadn't served myself. And so I went and I did a stint uh, serving Native American kids out in out in New Mexico, uh, and then went to uh, to grad school, um, and then it was after grad school that I joined Accenture. And I've been at Accenture for 21 years, and the great thing about Accenture is it allowed me to um, continue to do those things that I was passionate about, and that is, again, moving back and forth between for-profit, non-profit, and government. Uh, so I started my career at Accenture in the for-profit space, working in our financial services uh, group. I moved over um, and joined our government practice. Uh, then I started our nonprofit practice uh, and launched that literally 10 years ago, uh, almost to the month. And then after that, uh, have now moved into our health and public service group, which is a little bit of, of, of a combination of both. So, uh, first of all, it's amazing all the things that you shared. Um, of course, there's a clear pattern of service and partnership. And I also think, Marty, what's was really interesting about when you share your story and just your in your introduction, mm-hmm. a lot of us we have a perspective on one of those three spaces. If it's like the legislative space or the nonprofit space or the uh, the for profit space, but mm-hmm. and I'm certain that you've heard this many times before. I think your perspective and having such dynamic and deep experience in each in, um, in each of those spaces gives you a unique perspective, especially when it comes to effectively uh, actualizing change and supporting and lifting as you climb. And so, as you know, today we're talking about mentorship versus sponsorship. Um, and, you know, before we started recording the call um, mm-hmm. and we didn't and we didn't get this uh, because the computer crashed. But, you know, you said a lot of great things about the podcast. So thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. um, everywhere I go. So when I, I when I joined, when I started with Accenture and I've been to some, to some other firms, but everyone has either heard of you or they've worked with you or they aspire to work with you. And so I'm excited to talk to you about, about this topic because when, when your name comes up oftentimes, especially within the black consultative community, um, there's a, there's a desire for some, for you to be a mentor to them or a sponsor for them. And so I'm curious, could you explain a bit in your mind about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship? Sure, absolutely, and, and and there really are. Um, it, it's critical to know the difference between the two, and to and to understand the difference between the two, uh, especially as you're navigating your career. So, as I think about uh, mentorship versus sponsorship, and and they're both important, but again, they're both very different. Um, it's important to kind of um, realize that. Um, uh, at different points of your journey, you're going to need mentors, and at different parts of your journey, you're going to need sponsors. And um, 
And in some cases, they can go back and forth. You know, you can have a mentor that can become a sponsor and a sponsor that eventually becomes a mentor, but they are fundamentally different. And if if I can take a second just to kind of delineate how I think about that, uh, let me go let me go through that. So first, um, and again, just for for you and the audience, Zach, it's just I think helpful to think of it just really um, quickly in a couple of kind of uh, compare and contrasts. So first, mentorship is someone who speaks with you. And sponsorship is someone who speaks about you and for you. Mentors, mentors advise, sponsors advocate. Mentors support, sponsors steer. Mentors are folks that can help you uh, think about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that can include work, but it, it doesn't have to exclusively be about work. Whereas sponsors talk about career and work, right? Like that's the purpose of a of a sponsor. Um, mentors help you translate kind of the unwritten rules, whereas sponsors are the rules. Um, mentors have mentees, sponsors have employees. Uh, mentors talk about paths, sponsors talk about trails. Um, and then a couple other last ones as I was kind of quickly thinking through this. Um, mentors are someone you look up to, right? And they, they're, they're folks you want to be like. So for me, it was Senator Wofford, it was Marion Wright Edelman, it was Jeanetta Cole, it's, it's, it's Cliff Wharton, it's all those folks you know, that, that have shaped who I am and who I'd want to become and who I want to be like and who I look up to, aspire to be like. Sponsors, that's not a requirement, right? Um, but a requirement of sponsorship is power, right? Uh, so my mentors have been my heroes and my sheroes Sponsors don't have to live up to that high of a status. And then lastly, as, as I described at the beginning, uh, mentors can be sponsors and vice versa. So that's sort of like how, how I quickly kind of think through the, the, the compare and the contrast of all of those. No, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm curious, you know, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions around mentorship? So a lot of times I, I, I rarely ever in conversation is when we have our conversations about our careers and career management with my colleagues and even folks who are non-managers and things of that nature, do I hear people say, man, I really want him to be my sponsor. Like most times we're like, I need somebody to mentor me. Yeah. What do you think are some of the largest mis- misconceptions when it comes to uh, black and brown professionals, just professionals in general, of course, but mm-hmm. when you think of, when they, when you say the word mentorship and expectations, what do you, what do you think are some of the largest misconceptions around that? Well, especially for mentorship, right? Well, well, let me just actually start with both. So both mentorship and sponsorship are two-way streets. And I think a a popular misconception is, you know, it's kind of a a one-way relationship, but both, the key thing is it is a relationship, right? And there are costs and risks and investments of of time, of capital, of attention uh, on both sides and both sponsorship and mentorship require kind of nurturing uh, care and on and feeding and you can't have a, a mentorship relationship or a sponsorship relationship where um, all of the value is going in one direction it's got to be it's got to be both ways and so that's that for me is the biggest misconception is like there's this perception that hey you know I'm going to get something from my mentor versus, you know, what are you going to give your mentor? 
or, hey, I'm going to get something from this sponsor versus what are you going to give your sponsor? Um, I talked earlier about, um, you know, uh, one of the things I like to, to say is, you know, um, mentors can help guide you on a path, right? And talk about paths, you know, like, and again, that, that, that whole notion of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, like your path is a bigger thing than just your career and just your, you know, your work and your job. Um, and a path is, um, it's something that you're, you're cutting yourself. It's a, it's, it's a, it's your, your way of moving forward. And a, a mentor can talk to you about the ups and downs of that journey and, and how that happens. A sponsor is really about the trail, right? And it's when you talk about trails, you're following um, after someone that's already blazed that that trail. You're going, you know, there with a sponsor, you're sort of the, the protege. You're the person that they're investing into, that they're expecting something from, and you're going to be a reflection on them. Um, and again, that's the notion that a sponsor for a sponsor, you're an employee, right? And yeah. you're somebody that that they are investing in because you're going to do something for them and for the firm. Um, and it's a it's it's a transaction. Um, and again, that that's not that's not the same type of relationship that you would have necessarily with a mentor, where a mentor is more somebody you're gonna you're gonna want to be like and 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 look up to. That's just so precious. And first of all, Marty, it's four o'clock. So are we okay to go for another 10 to 15 minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, we're good. We're good. Thank you so much. So yeah. let me ask you this. Um, what was a moment uh, for you? Because you talk a lot when you, again, when you kind of talk through your journey just before, before grad school and before joining Accenture, um, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned men, your mentors a lot and, and, men, and the multiple mentors that you had. Yep. You know, did you ever have a moment where the difference between mentorship and sponsorship impacted your, your early career? Um, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I think the story, Zach, that, that really kind of um, uh, brings home the difference between mentorship and sponsorship would actually be when I first was made a, a partner, and, and maybe we will come back to that at the end, right? Um, but when I was made a partner, uh, now we call them managing directors, yeah. Um, you know, I was sort of, um, to be blunt, kind of clueless. I was uh, potentially, there's uh, uh, far too many of us uh, as black and brown folks that what, you know, my, my attitude was not what it should be. And what I mean by that is I was of the, the mindset of, um, you know, hey, uh, I'm doing what I need to do. Uh, they should make me uh, a managing director or a partner. Um, and if they don't, you know, it, it's not why I get up in the morning. So, you know, they're lost, right? Um, somebody, uh, one of the, the folks that I was reporting to who, you know, now I would call more of a mentor said, you know what? Um, uh, that's probably not how you want to think about it. Um, and if you want to, accomplish a lot of the things you want to accomplish for other people, for other causes, for other things you say you believe in, then I need you to care about making it to partner, to to managing director. Um, When I started on that journey, I had no clue, you know, what the process was. Um, I was sort of, to be blunt, 
uh, almost disinterested in the process. Uh, I just kind of figured it, again, it would kind of, it would happen if it happened. Um, when I was first up for managing director um, and for partner, um, I got what we call the paperwork um, without even knowing that I was up that particular year. Um, I filled out the paperwork, not even, you know, kind of rushed, didn't even really uh, uh, think much about it um, and went through the process, if you will. And uh, Zach, the, the crazy thing was I was brought in to meet with one of our executives um, who told me in that particular year I was not going to make uh, managing director, that I was, hey, I had a good run, uh, glad I was part of the process, but I wasn't going to make it. Um, and Hey, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, Kate, hey, you know, no big thing. I wasn't, didn't even know this process existed. Wasn't sure of the process. Wasn't going to lose sleep about it. Right. Two weeks later, I was called back into that same person's office and, uh, was told, Hey, guess what? You actually are going to make it. Oh, wow. And the difference between that and two weeks later was a sponsor had gotten the list, didn't see my name on it, and had decided, hey, nice list, but it's missing somebody. And that's the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. Wow. And that's just so powerful because I've, you know, I've, from mentors uh, that I've spoken with about as the higher that you climb um, on these ladders and, and, and levels of leadership, you know, the more of that type of support you're going to need. Right. And that there needs to be more and more consensus on who makes that list. Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a powerful example. And Absolutely. In, in, in this particular case. Right. And, and this is something more and more corporations are are wrestling with, dealing with and trying. And, and we do it formally here at Accenture. But this was a person who um, had been uh, named as my sponsor that I didn't know that they were my sponsor. Um, so they had, they had been kind of assigned to be my sponsor. Um, and I didn't know until much later that they had been formally assigned to be my sponsor. Wow. And, and it's, that's also particularly uh, amazing. And I, I would imagine humbling for you, Marty, in that to your point, you weren't even super invested in the process at the time, right? Like your attitude was not one of, you know, I need to get this or, you know, you were, right. you know, you, and so. Uh, for that to be the case, that's just, that's incredible. And, um, but I, I think it also speaks to, to your earlier piece, pieces when you were talking about just people being invested in you that sometimes, I know for me, at least in my career, there have been people who have been, who've been more invested than me and in, in, in me getting to a certain place than I was at a time because they had the insight and wisdom to know what me getting there meant. Right. And, and that's, well, that's, that's invaluable. And that's a key thing for a sponsor, right? A sponsor has to decide, hey, I'm going to give some of my capital to you. And the reason I'm going to give you that capital, the reason I'm going to invest in you, the reason I'm going to sponsor you is because you in turn are going to be a good reflection on me or you're going to be and or you're going to be a good reflection on the firm. And net net, uh, normally what that means is in in for-profit firms you're going to help us make money yeah so 
you know, in, in my career, I've seen the folks who go the furthest. They have sponsors, mm-hmm. right? Of course. And frankly, I've seen people of color attempt to build sponsor relationships, and it, it, it falls flat a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, what are some tips that you have for for black and brown professionals, uh, particularly uh, millennials, but of course, uh, Gen X and baby boomers as well, who are seeking sponsors? And what advice do you have for senior leaders and executives who may not be used to engaging uh, professionals that don't look like them and really establishing those types of relationships? So, so. It's kind of a, a two-part question there, Zach. So if I, if I take the first part, right, yeah. in terms of, you know, the uh, black and brown folks that are seeking sponsors, well, the first should be, again, to remember that it's a two-way street and there has to be mutual value uh, shared in, in both directions, right? And you have to know that um, when you enter into that relationship, you are a reflection of your sponsor um, and, um, and that that... Uh, bears with it certain responsibilities, right? And you have to help them, they have to, to help you, so, so to speak. Um, second thing is you have to ask the question, you know, where do I find a sponsor, right? And a sponsor ultimately, uh, going back to those original definitions, right, has to have power, they have to have a seat at the table, they have to um, they have to be in the room when decisions are, are being made. And that usually means you've got to look at the org chart and you've got to look at, um, you know, uh, who has the budget and who has the uh, chair and who has the, you know, the, the P&L statement to, um, and, and or the, or, you know, who, who's filling out uh, the, the final performance reviews uh, and how high up in the ladder are, are, are they doing that, right? So that would be um, um, kind of a second point, like you got to know where to look and make sure that you're actually identifying folks that are uh, that are at the table. Um, and then the last part of that is I always encourage folks to, you got to look for just like with mentor, you got to have more than one and you got to look for multiple sponsors because especially in a lot of these, a lot of organizations, uh, nowadays, uh, folks are moving around all the time at the top. And so you never know, you know, who's going to shift where, when, and the worst case scenario is, you know, you're planning and investing in a certain sponsor that then moves and that person no longer has influence um, where you need them to have influence and you don't have any, any fallback. Um, so you want to have multiple sponsors in, in multiple different, uh, different places and multiple different folks that can, can speak for you at the table um, and, and can be at the table as, 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 as things move and change. Um, in last thought in terms of in terms of that uh in terms of uh, uh our folks as they as they seek sponsors um i think it is uh incumbent upon uh, young professionals in particular to um uh put themselves out there and to um realize that that takes courage but you've got to put yourself out there in terms of being willing to sign up for um, uh, assignments that you might not, you know, that are stretch assignments um, that have risk in them. You're going to have to um, uh, do a lot of this networking and additional relationship development above and beyond kind of your day job. That the, the table stakes, uh, the price of admission is that you're going to, you know, perform exceptionally well in, in what you're doing day in and day out. 
the last part of that is um, your uh, sponsor is going to, um, in, uh, in terms of that relationship, they're going to be helping you remove obstacles and barriers. They're going to be helping uh, pick you out for certain assignments, and they're going to, in some cases, be help. They'll help you get that promotion. Um, but you're um, then responsible not just for what you were doing before. But now you're responsible for achieving in that new role, um, and that you know that'll be kind of that's sort of your next test case, and then that relationship will continue to develop or evolve based on how you perform after that, um, that kind of first reach back or reach in. So it's an ongoing evolution and that relationship and that dynamic will change over time. And so I think sometimes we get into these relationships and we think they're sort of, they're always the same and they're always sort of static in terms of the relationship. Yeah. What you'll find is those things actually change, especially as you climb. Um, and as your relationship, um, and the proximity sometimes between you and the, and the sponsor, that gap closes, um, in terms of the second part of your question, and sorry for being a little bit long winded, uh, Zach, but in terms of the second part of your question, um, senior leaders, um, that are, you know, in terms of how they can best engage with young professionals and, uh, that don't look like them. Um, I always talk about the opportunity to um, create space and to have grace, so space and grace. And there's really a need for um, uh, both, whether it's our employee resource groups or it's our offices or whatever profession you might be in, um, or, if it, or even sometimes those senior leaders themselves, uh, to, uh, to create the space to come together to get to know folks. Um, to have an opportunity to interact with folks uh, and see who those um, those folks that have that promise, that have that that, that ability to to rise, um, uh, are and can be. And so, uh, in the case of folks that um, don't look like them, that creation of space is really essential, uh, where both the person of color but also they themselves can feel comfortable in that interaction um and then the grace is you know there are going to be some moments where neither of you feel comfortable but that's okay uh it takes a little bit of courage um but that's that's part of part of the price of being a leader at, at, at your firm right so uh, i'm a new manager of my company and you know i've been recently promoted to manager of Congratulations. I appreciate it's it. It's awesome. Thank you, Marty. I appreciate it. It's been about... See, man, you, see, man, you just keep climbing. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, it's been and, about a year. And, and, and you keep giving back, which this podcast represents. So that's Marty, great. man, you're going to make me blush on this podcast, man. They're going to see it through the through the, uh, through the app, man. Thank you. Um, but it's been about a year. But let me be honest. In my career, oftentimes, and I'm going to have a bit of a an inside conversation on the outside the house, but... Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when I see folks that look like us and, and this has been my experience um, is that they're more they more often act, act like referees than they are true avenues of support. And so and it's and interestingly enough, some of the most prominent mentors that I've had, uh, they've shared that 
some of the the biggest roadblocks have been from them being at a at a junior level and from people who were at a senior level that that do look like them and so i'm curious you know what advice do you have for black and brown leaders to better lift as uh, as they climb and what if any roles do non-minority leaders play in helping to support that culture and i know i'm giving you a lot of like two-parter questions right but the reason why i'm asking that second part is because i do believe that there's some type of um, there's a reason why we are we don't always lift as we climb I think there's some there's some type of factor in that and so i'm curious to know if there's a greater cultural influence at play for that so that's the that's the purpose of the the b part of my question yeah. So, 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 a, it's it's a great question. So, let let me just kind of unpack a couple of things. First, I, I love the expression "lift as you climb," uh, which comes from Mary McLeod Bethune, right? And yes. and, and ultimately, right, that's what life should be about. Um, I always talk about the difference between uh, ambition and aspiration. Uh, and in our in our world, in our society, and in way too many of our corporations, we talk about them as, as though they're the same thing, and they're fundamentally different. Ambition comes from the Latin, and it it literally ambit means to walk around. And what it meant, Zach, was back in the day, you were going to walk around and you were going to buy votes. You know, you were going to like literally pay people off to to vote for you, and it, it had a very negative connotation. Hmm. Um, and uh, aspiration is also from the Latin, but it comes from the, the Latin word that uh, means uh, to breathe, to give air to, to give life to, 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 to give oxygen to. And we have to be uh, people of aspiration, um, and we, we need our firms and our companies to, to be companies of aspiration, right? And, um, you know, and fundamentally what that boils down to in your when you're ambitious, you believe kind of in a scarcity model. You believe I've got to hold you down so that I can lift myself up. Um, whereas aspiration is about lifting as you climb. It's about abundance. About It's about saying, hey, um, uh, I, I only get lifted up by those coming after me. And it's my responsibility to reach back, give back, uh, and make a difference to, to, to pay it forward. And so, uh, and that I'm only there because of the result of others that, that made my being there possible. And so, um, with that mindset, um, it becomes incumbent upon all of us, uh, to, you know, especially as, as leaders of color, um, to realize that we're sitting in chairs and we're occupying chairs as a result of others that came before, um, and sometimes we get in those chairs and there's this sense of, well, hey, I'm the only one. If the, and if there's another, then they're going to they're gonna kind of, uh, they're going to have to knock me out or knock me down. Um, and again, that's a scarcity model. That's an ambition model. That's not an aspiration model. And we have to, um, to realize that, you know, uh, uh, we have to be about the business of, of lifting others um, and, and making a difference in, in that, in that way. Um, in terms of advice uh, in, in roles for non-minority leaders, um, I, I think the, the, the simplest thing can sometimes be just an expectation of um, 
something that simple. And, you know, sometimes there's this whole idea of, you know, well, gee, if I if I'm here, um, you know, when I when I first started uh, and t- took on a leadership role at Accenture and was leading um, uh, uh, several of, of our accounts here. I very consciously wanted to have the most diverse accounts, right? And I, I believed if I could create the most diverse accounts and if, if I could create accounts that were the best accounts at the firm, then people would be fighting them, you know, against each other trying to get on these accounts. And if I had the best talent, then the, the rest would take care of itself. And some of that has to be the same spirit and ethos that that non-minority leaders would have in terms of creating a culture that rewards people that that recognize diversity that bring in diversity and say to to minority leaders themselves you know what um you're diverse and if you bring in more diversity that's a good thing and if you're helping advance other diverse leaders that's a good thing and we're going to reward that and that's a positive thing it's not a negative thing it's not a it's not a it's not a scarcity model it's an abundance model Marty, this has been a great discussion. Uh, before we go, do sure. you have any parting words or shout outs? In fact, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know that <laughs> I know that I have a colleague um, who this was some years ago and you might not remember saying this, but she made mention of the fact that you said something like uh, that. We as a as a people, that black people, we're like we're the blue note. Um, and do you recall that statement? I wasn't there, but she said you had a, you had a I, I, I got lots of I have lots of statements, but yes. <laughs> Man, could you please um, wax poetic on that, please? Because the, the, and I don't, rec- I don't. The reason why I ask is because I don't. Rem- I wasn't there, and she wasn't even able to fully articulate what you said. But her eyes glowed when she said, and I was like, "Man, when I speak to Marty, this was literally four years ago." I said, "When I speak to Marty, I'm gonna ask him to talk about this." Mm, okay, well, so the, the concept of the blue note comes from jazz, right? And so there's this idea that. Um, uh, and, and it's something that, you know, in our in our firms nowadays, and Accenture is no exception, we talk all the time about the need for innovation, right, and the need for creativity and the need for, um, uh, you know, as things are going along, there might be a disruption uh, or there, there might be uh, something that comes along that uh, creates uh, dramatic uh, change. And so really that's the idea of the blue note and um, in jazz, right? It's the moment of improvisation. It's the moment when um, you don't know where or how the story is going to, the music and the story is going to unfold. And really that has been, um, you know, whether you, you, you read uh, Cornel West or, or Eric Dyson or others, that's really been our history, right? That's our story of um, every time that there's been, we've been on a journey uh, as a country, we have served uh, in the role of, of the blue note, the improvisation that moves us, our story forward around the realization of uh, those very first principles that were first embedded in the Declaration of Independence and, the, and in the Constitution. And so, um, you know, whether it was, you know, our battle uh, originally as enslaved people or later in, in terms of the civil war and fighting for freedom or the battle through reconstruction or through civil rights, or now even today as we move forward with um, Black Lives Matter and, and other um, uh, uh, 
movements to more fully recognize the process of more fully recognizing our humanity and more fully recognizing our uh, citizenship has been one that has caused the country to confront and to look at itself and its values in the mirror. And we've been that blue note to help the country uh, evolve its definition and its story as we've gone along. Man, I love that. I love that. And now it's captured on this podcast. Marty, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Beyond honored. Appreciate your time. Definitely consider you a friend of the show. Uh, And we hope to have you back. All right. Well, thank you, Zach, very much for uh, having me. It's been an honor to be a a part of it. And if I can uh, ever be of help to folks uh, on the journey, feel free to uh, hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter or otherwise. Happy to to be of help. All right, Marty. Appreciate it. Peace. Take care. Bye-bye. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.